Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Eva Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And it's another show. We're doing a review of Build to Rent. What is it? What are the returns? Is it any good? Now, this comes after reading quite a bit of it in the papers over the last week or so. And so I thought we need to dig into what Build to Rent is and whether it is a viable way to invest in property for you guys and also when you might use it. But Andrew, just walk us through what do we mean by build to rent? So this is where a developer will have a large scale development, so say 200 properties in a five story apartment building, and they will sell that to a fund. So someone like a New Zealand super fund or perhaps just a property fund that you can invest in. And then these properties are specifically built to rent as a long-term rental property. So, you know, a three to seven year tenancy to tenants that want to be in their long-term. And let's just talk about the differences between build to rent and what we do or what most people listening to the show do, which is what we'll call for today direct investment. So if you think about direct investment, that's most rental properties owned by mum and dad investors like you lot. And that's where you might own some standalone houses or some town houses and you personally own the house or a trust that you control owns the house. And then you decide how to rent it out. Now, build to rent's a bit different because here the rental properties are owned collectively by a fund. So you might own a share in a fund and that fund owns 100 rental properties, for instance, and rents it out. Now, that's not the only difference. It's not just the ownership structure. It's also in the sorts of properties that tend to be rented out this way. Instead of standalone houses and townhouses, they tend to be apartments and studios. And the reason behind that is that these sorts of funds tend to be yield focused. It really tends to be getting a cash return from the money you've put into the fund rather than investing as much for capital growth. Some people would dispute that with me, but that's the way it tends to be. And I'll give you some examples about that. But Andrew, let's talk about build to rent versus what, again, we're calling direct investment from the tenant's perspective. And this really is going to show why it's getting a lot of attention from people who want to support tenants. So let's talk about the pros, first of all, for the tenants. With direct investment, normally they get a house or a townhouse, so they get their own kind of standalone or lower density property to live in. With the build to rent, the positive is they get more secure tenancies. So they'll have a long-term lease in place, professional management with usually one manager managing the whole complex. And the rent tends to be adjusted with inflation. So there's a process for setting in the first place, and then they know what the incremental increases might look like. The cons for a tenant, so firstly with direct investment, well, I guess they can be kicked out of the house if the landlord wants to sell it or or move in themselves. So there can be a little bit less security there. From a build to rent standpoint, generally these are apartments. So not everyone wants to live in an apartment and often they might not have a car park. So they're kind of more compact They'll tend to be built very close to public transport so that they don't have to put car parks in. Now, why would you do that? Well, because if you don't have a car park, then you tend to get a better yield because adding a car park might add 
30 to 50 grand worth of costs, but doesn't necessarily add an additional 10% of yield, for instance. Now, if we think about the investor side then, because there are some serious benefits to build to rent for tenants if they're built in the right areas and they're able to get relatively affordable rental accommodation, given that built to rent is relatively cheap to produce. So on the investor side, let's start by talking about direct investment. Now, the pros of that, buying a house yourself under a trust or a look-through company, very high amount of leverage. You can borrow up to 80% of the value. Now, that means that you can buy quite significantly more valuable assets you otherwise would. You've also got a lot of personal control over that asset and you get to choose the location. You get to choose the property type and which market to invest in at any one time. So, some really good benefits for the investor in terms of control if you're investing directly. But the cons of that is you need to be able to get bank finance, which not everybody always has the ability to do. And there is also higher personal risk. That'd be pretty fair to say. Yeah. Now, if we think about bill to rent, you've got a really high yield or a better cash flow. One of the reasons behind that is not just what you're investing in, which tends to be high yield assets like studios or apartments, but also they tend to take on less debt from what I've seen. They might take on something like 50% debt as opposed to 80% debt if you were personally investing, for instance, in a new build. And that's normally because obviously there's multiple investors. I don't want to be responsible for Ed's portion of the debt. And so they want to make sure that the fund can pay for itself. It can service the debt itself and not require any sort of personal guarantees. But also a pro of that is there's no need for bank finance. If you put 100k in, the fund will raise the finance. You personally don't have to be responsible for it. So there is lower personal risk because you don't own the asset. The fund owns the asset. And because of this, it's a really passive strategy, really passive, even more passive than buying a new build. But the cons of built to rent from an investor's perspective, obviously lower leverage. So you might not get the same gains as if you were investing directly because you're not using as much debt. You're investing in yield properties rather than growth properties. Now that often means lower amounts of capital growth. For instance, if you're investing in a fund and the fund owns 100 studio apartments, the stats show us that those properties are less likely to increase in value at the same rate as a three bedroom townhouse, for instance, in the same area, just because it's not as much demand for people to buy studio apartments. And of course, there's probably going to be some fund management fees in there as well to administer the fund, which you just simply don't have if you're investing directly. But that does not mean that build to rent wouldn't or doesn't work for some investors. So Andrew, walk us through who would something like this be the right fit for and who would it be the wrong fit for? So firstly, the right fit, if you're a yield investor and you've got cash and you want to just get a return on that cash, normally you're at the finishing line of your investment journey and you've built your wealth and you you just want to get a good return. Now, that might be the right fit for you. And also, you know, if you are trying to buy these high yielding properties yourself, it might be quite challenging to get a mortgage depending on your age. Wrong fit for, really not the right fit for people who are growth investors, who are either starting out or building up their portfolio or want to have control over what they're investing in. If your goal is to increase your wealth, then this is not probably the right product for you. And I think this really comes down to whether you've got the cash or not to invest, because what people aren't going to do is set up a revolving credit against their property and take the hundred and 50k that we're going to use as the deposit for a new build and instead take that out and put it into a build to rent fund. No, very unlikely to do that. 
Why is that? Well, because your return that you get out of it probably barely pays the interest. But if we were thinking about somebody, and you know, there are quite a few case studies we do now on the show, Andrew, where somebody might have one and a half mil to invest in property and they're saying, I want to build a passive income. Well, that's the sort of investor. If you've got a million dollars in cash after you sell down some properties or, or more than that, and you want to get a return, that's where build to rent might be the right fit. And actually, I read about some of the returns online. I'm not sure how much faith I put into you know, an article written by a big real estate company, but I did see Bailey's talking about that the return you might get from a bill to rent was somewhere in the region of 5 to 6%. Yeah. Now, there wasn't a lot of information about how that was broken down. And to me, that sounds quite rich yes, in today's market. for residential, I think. But you know, if it was 4%, for instance, a 4% net cash yield, no capital growth, then that's where you'd say, you know what, that'd be pretty attractive rather than perhaps buying two apartments without any debt yourself. So that's where it might be used. Let's just come across and talk about, well, who's actually doing build to rent right now in New Zealand? Now, for you long-term listeners of the show, you'll remember that Duval is doing some build to rent stuff. They've got a fund. And for instance, they've got a project as part of that fund of 99 studio apartments that they'd built in Mangarei East, which is part of that fund. I also saw there is a company called New Ground Living. Now they're doing build to rent in both Auckland and Queenstown. And there are just a plethora of other companies who are looking to do these sort of style of funds. I saw Simplicity, KiwiSavers doing one. I read an article suggesting that Centuria, who used to be called Augusta, they do a lot of commercial syndication. They're looking at doing that. Williams Corp on Matthew Horncastle's social media feed has said that he's going to do some. And then also, we've also been looking at, you know, look, could we do one based on more on growth properties and, you know, some other things. So I'm sure there are a lot of companies out there who are looking at build to rent as one alternative way to help people invest in property. But I think you'll specifically see a lot of developers start to try to do these sorts of <laughs> They fun. will if they're not able to sell their own product. Like, you know, if the market doesn't allow them to sell a bunch of products, that's a natural way to bundle them up, right? A hundred percent. So just to dig into that a little bit more, let's say that I'm a developer, I've been building properties and look, now I'm struggling to sell some of them. One option you can do, put a hundred of them, 50 of them into a fund, get a whole heap of investors to put money into that fund and sweet, you can sell these properties in a different way if you're not able to do it directly to investors like we usually would. So I do expect to see developers starting to do that because of that reason. But what you've just got to bear in mind is that not everybody has access to those sorts of funds. Do you just want to explain how that works again, Andrew? Well, often these funds won't be regulated, which means that you need to be a wholesale or eligible investor. So you've got to be an accountant, a lawyer, a financial advisor, or have a net worth of $5 million or 500000 to invest. So that seriously limits the number of people that can invest in these funds, normally speaking. I think it's actually 750 to 750, invest. Yeah. yeah, huge amount of money as well. Now, one thing that was quite interesting as well is I read something from the Property Council which said that there needed to be legislation changes in order to see build-to-rent take off in New Zealand. Now, I did look into this because I thought it was quite strange that you actually have some funds already doing this, but then you also have an industry body saying we need legislation changes in order to be able to see build-to-rent flourish. Now, just to explain what some of those are, 
They want some sort of change to the Residential Tenancies Act because what often happens with bill to rent, Andrew, let's say that I'm now the fund, you're my tenant. What will usually happen is you might sign a three-year lease, but you can cancel that at any time and move out. So you've got security of tenure, but you've also got the flexibility to move on in bill to rent. And so they want some sort of change to the RTA that would allow that. They also want a change to the Overseas Investment Act. Now, remember, this is the law that says that people who live overseas can't buy the vast majority of properties in New Zealand and if you want to sell a big apartment building to an overseas investor or an apartment in a big apartment building to an overseas investor, they need an exemption. They want to have some sort of change to make sure that bill to rent is carved out of that and also interest deductibility. So one of the things they're worried about is, sweet, you might have deductibility for the next 20 years, but these are long-term yes. funds. What happens after that? They yes. want to make sure that if they've got 50% debt, that, hey, it still makes sense from a yield perspective, and they're suggesting that it might not otherwise. And I do know of a few developers that have been in conversations with Christopher Luxon about how this might be used in the future, because obviously we do have a housing crisis. I'm reading more and more articles about tenants not being able to find properties, and I think it's going to get worse and worse over the next coming months and years. And so he's looking forward as to what ways New Zealand could use products like this to help take a bit of pressure off the private rental market. And I definitely do think that there is a place for bill to rent if they could genuinely get a decent return. If you get a 4% net yield off this, I think that it does start to become attractive for those people who are starting to want to build a passive income or get a passive income from their properties and who want to do it in a really passive way. You know, so again, we talk about these case studies on the show of people who want to earn a passive income after they've invested in growth properties. You know, maybe they've got $2 million, maybe they've got $2.5 million after investing for, you know, 20 years or 15 years with a couple of properties have built significant wealth, then this could be a really good option if they can genuinely get those returns. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want a bit of help with your investing strategy in 2022, you might like to come in for a portfolio planning session. This is where we'll map out your property investment portfolio and we'll talk about, well, what are your goals in property investment? How can we help you get there? That's completely complimentary. Want to come in for that? I'll drop a link in the show notes, so tap or swipe over the cover up. There'll be a link in there. We can find out more on opuspartners.co.nz. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.